Dragging the Peg is recorded on Treaty 1 territory, the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe, the Cree, the Oji Cree, the Dakota, and the Dene peoples, and on the homeland of the Métis Nation. Welcome to the first official episode of Dragon the Peg Season 2, a podcast exploring the lives and careers of drag performers living in Winnipeg, Canada. My name is Graham Hooson, and I'll be your host. When I began Season 1, choosing the very first guest was one of the most difficult decisions. I opted for a performer who pushed the boundaries and experimented with their drag in a DIY way that I thought represented the scene perfectly. In retrospect, I was wrong. This first episode spot belongs to someone who's proven themselves time and time again in the drag scene, and contributed years of their life to our community through their charity, their support, and their drag. That's why the first guest of season two is one of our city's most legendary drag queens, who's given us all of the above and more. So without further ado, please help me welcome the matriarch to the Las Vegas dynasty, heir to the Empress of Canada, daughter to the San Juan dynasty in the House of Storm, and mother of the House of Burlesque, Brianna Burlesque. I'm Brianna Burlesque. I am a drag queen. I consider myself more of a female impersonator because I look more like a woman than I do a drag queen. And yeah, I'm from Winnipeg, actually from St. Laurent, Manitoba, which is the little Métis community in the interlake. It's such an honor to have you here. Thanks. You were, I was just saying, you were the number one most requested person to have on season two, besides Anita. I wasn't really paying attention, but like like you were saying in the, in the past season, everyone was mentioning you in their stories. It was quite interesting, yeah, to yeah. hear it, yeah. You're an icon. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> so, you've been doing drag for, how long is it? It will be 20 years, June 15th of 2020. 20 years. 20 years. I started doing drag with Vita L'Amour. So we're considered twin sisters. It was on a dare. Really? Yeah. I don't think either of us ever expected to do drag. And uh, we had a couple girlfriends that said, hey, why don't you guys do drag? And we're like, no. And they're like, we dare you. (laughs) And we did it and we enjoyed it. And we thought it was a one-time thing. Well, I did anyway. And then at the Pride Parade of... 2000 there weren't very many new queens at the time and the old queens at the time decided to come up to us and say hey you guys should do a show and we were like no this is a one-time thing and they convinced us to do that show and we did it and I was hooked Mm -hmm. like I love to perform if I could just perform and not have to do the whole like getting ready part Mm -hmm. like if I could have a magic wand and be like poof and drag (laughs) that would be perfect and just perform So that's how it all started. It was on a dare and then doing that one show and falling in love with being on stage. And you you truly come to life on stage. You're such a killer performer. (laughs) I remember specific, I forget forget what show it was, but it was you and Foxy doing a duet. And Foxy's one of those like high energy performers where you really can't look away from her. Yeah. But I was like, I think this is the first time I've ever like not wanted to look at Foxy (laughs) while she's on a stage because you were just shredding it. Awesome, thanks. It's Um, crazy. I think that's when we did You Thought Wrong by Tamayo Gray and Kelly Clarkson. Yeah. Yes. That was at um that was at the Mirror with I, Four Mirror Faces. Four Faces, yes. And we, we got matching outfits and yeah, Foxy's a great performer. I really enjoyed performing with her. Mm-hmm. I love doing duets, but it's just so hard to find 
people to do high energy duets that can almost keep up with you. I yeah. don't want to sound egotistical, but no, definitely. Yeah. yeah, it was one of the. I was like, wow, they are going head to head. This is insane. That's awesome. So tell me a little bit about your life before you started drag. Before that dare happened, what's what's the story of what's the story of Dar? Oh my goodness! I grew up in a little town, Saint Laurent, Manitoba, mm-hmm. quite out there, so to speak, but I was also really reserved because of it was the early 90s, being bullied, Mm -hmm. um, not really being able to be who you are, and then moved to the city. And when I first came out, I was that really shy, typical country boy that didn't know where to go, what to do. Mm -hmm. And the first ever bar I went to, gay bar, was Club 200. And then a couple weeks later, I was one of their go-go dancers. Sweet. Yeah, like, it was quite interesting. And then from there, I met Vita. We became the best of friends. So coming from this shy, quiet, reserved country boy to this larger-than-life drag queen Mm -hmm. was definitely a huge turning point in my life. With go-go dancing in the middle. With go-go dancing in the middle. When I look back, I was like, oh, how did I ever get up on that stage half-naked and (laughs) dance around? And I was like, oh, wait, I was a lot better. (laughs) <laughs> younger and, and much more better shape. Did go-go dancing kind of help your like transition to doing drag? Like, was Is there I, similar skills? I think so. I think it got me out, out of my shell a lot more. Like mm-hmm. I was I was really shy. It, people probably won't believe it, but I was really shy when I first came out and I was kind of like the boy in the corner who kind of just watched mm-hmm. and didn't say much and then I had a friend say, hey, you love to dance. Why don't you try go-go dancing? And they needed a dancer. And it was on Tuesdays back when Club 200's busy night was Tuesdays. And it was called Animal Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. And there was a lineup down the street. And it was just so much fun. Yeah, and I never thought that it would lead to becoming or doing drag. Wow, Animal Tuesday. That's kind of an interesting <laughs> parallel to Primal, which is the show that you, I'm doing that you host nowadays. Yes. You started doing drag in the year 2000, yeah. Y2K. Yes. Drag wasn't nearly as mainstream as it is today. Not at all. It was almost even looked down upon back then here in Winnipeg. Mm-hmm. Uh, not very many people did drag. And like I said, myself and Vita were a couple of the new queens along with Trixie Malibu, Mm -hmm. who started around the same time as us, and Vivian Devine. And we were kind of like the new age girls that were coming out and stepping aside from the high glam because we were, I would say, kind of more hoochie at the time. (laughs) And like we were more fun. We were like the club kids. Mm -hmm. And Winnipeg hadn't seen that, so it was kind kind of what we're seeing today with all the new drag coming out. Uh, nowadays we were kind of that back in the day Mm -hmm. but not as not as huge or explosive as it is now like Mm -hmm. now we've got so many people coming out and doing drag and different types of drag whereas it was very one-sided drag it was very high glam drag it was very cutthroat and then you had these four little hookers so to speak (laughs) like we called ourselves and coming out and just shaking things up and having fun and making drag fun and kind of turning heads back in 2000 then a year later tyra came along my first my first baby Mm -hmm. and yeah it just kind of it kind of like was 
so hard to get people to do drag because people didn't like drag then. Yeah, it was tough. Yeah. It was really tough. I've heard that there wasn't just, like, stigma, obviously, from, from the outside, but there was also stigma from inside the queer community towards drag queens. Yeah, people just didn't like drag. And the pageants were always great. Like, the Miss Happenings pageant always brought a crowd because Happenings was the the go-to club in the day, and everyone wanted to know who Miss Happenings was because she, she literally ran the bar. So other than that, shows weren't really popular Mm -hmm. like you'd be lucky if you had more people in the audience than you had performers so there'd be like 10 performers and eight people in the audience (laughs) so definitely those queens kept drag alive Mm -hmm. when drag wasn't popular and you said it was really cutthroat we did talk a little bit about that as well tell me tell me a little bit about that Oh, girls used to bleach each other's outfits cut each other's heels they were nasty. Um, when I first came out, there were a few queens that were quite nasty, too. And it was just, it was what people think drag can be like was what it was like. Like, bitches being bitches. Oh, my God. Yeah. Especially was, around pageant season, was that? Well, it, it was because everyone wanted to be the title or whatever. I remember one particular entertainer of the year where one of the contestants that I was helping get ready, we went to get their outfit and there was these big bleach blotches on their outfit that they were about to put on. And I was like, what the? And they were like, uh, and you could feel that someone had literally taken bleach and dumped it on their outfits. Oh my God. Yeah, it was insane. And I was like, are you kidding me? At the time we had heard of these things where girls were like cutting each other's heels and chopping up a wig wig, cutting outfits and it wasn't until that moment where i was like holy man like this is insane i ran for a title once where two of the judges didn't like myself and scored me really poorly where the other three judges had the two of us even and when it came down to the audience vote i had like killed the audience vote but i still lost by one point and people were booing in the audience Mm -hmm. it was it was like I said, it was cutthroat. And I remember Vita doing my makeup with me that day. And when we found out who the judges were, she's like, girl, <laughs> you ain't going to win. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, whatever, girl. Don't say that. She's like, those who don't like you, you're not going to win. So it was just like so biased. It was so crazy back then. And I'm glad things have changed somewhat. There isn't that. I don't think that cutthroatness that there is anymore. Mm-hmm. I love when we have our pageants and you can see the camaraderie between the contestants and yeah, it's like a sisterhood. There's still there's still that little bitchiness to everyone. I can <laughs> vouch for that myself, but for sure. Wow, why do you think people were so competitive back then? Because I think people are competitive now, but it's, it sounds like it's nothing. I don't know sabotage. why. I honestly don't know why. Like it, like I think drag has always been competitive. Mm-hmm. Then I think it was. I don't even think it was competitive. I think it was just catty. Yeah. Like, why? Like, why? Why do you need to damage someone's property mm-hmm. for you to win? Like, you aren't winning on your own fair buy. Yeah. Did you ever partake in this sabotage? Oh, never. Never. <laughs> never. No, no, no. I could never <laughs> like. If I'm going to win it, I'm going to win it on my own merits. Like, if you can't bring it, then you don't deserve it. Clearly. Yeah. Instead of smashing someone's makeup (laughs) in or some shit. Yeah, it was crazy. 
So Vita was talking about in her episode, she said that indigenous queens were treated super unfairly back then. Uh, somewhat. A lot of the indigenous girls were the ladies of the night more and they weren't mm. they weren't necessarily drag queens mm-hmm. so when there were a fluctuation of us that came out if that's the right word I want to use mm-hmm. back in 2001 2002 all five major titles were held by an indigenous queen yeah. for the first time in history and we celebrated it because you never saw that before. Like, Anita was Empress. I was Miss Purdy's. Vita was Miss Happenings. Uh, Walissa Thunderpuss was Miss Chio's. And Jackie Giuseppe Robillard was Miss Club 200. And the five of us were all of Aboriginal descent. And we were so proud to represent our Aboriginal heritage and to be those queens that held the titles in this city. It was the first. Wow. Especially for... A city like Winnipeg. Yeah. Oh my God. Especially yeah. back then, I can't. I can't imagine. Yeah, and we loved it. Like we also did fun shows together. I remember we did a spin-off show of um, North of Sixty, which we called North of Sixty Nine, and it showcased <laughs> the five of us. And we poked fun at our own heritage, and we also brought out the best of it. So mm-hmm. it was. It was a time definitely for the Aboriginal girls to shine. So there was a stigma back then of Indigenous sex workers. Yes. Um, kind of merging drag and sex work together. Was that kind of a stigma that was placed upon you as well? Kind of yes and kind of no. Mm-hmm. Um, my situation was a little different because when I started doing drag, I wasn't really out to my parents either. Mm-hmm. And I did come out and... When I started doing drag, they weren't sure what it was either. So they kind of had, they were like, oh, are you working the streets? Is that why you dress up? And mm-hmm. I'm like, no, 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 I'm a drag queen. Mm-hmm. Like, come come watch, come to a show, blah, blah, blah. And it was just, they didn't know because, like, we're from a small town. Mm-hmm. It was so new to them. So in a way, it could be. Interesting. So when you came out to your parents, was that also early 2000s-ish? Yes, it was. Wow. Around the same time I started doing drag, I remember driving home with one of my mom's good friends, and as we were driving, I just knew I was going to do it. I knew I was going to tell my mom, mm-hmm. and I started crying, and her friend's like, what's going on? I'm like, I need you to come into the house with me. I'm going to tell my mom I'm gay, and I need you to be there, mm-hmm. and she was, and I remember we were sitting at the kitchen table, and she was kicking me under the f- table. <laughs> to like nudge me right and I finally said mom I've got something to tell you and she's like what and I started crying and I'm like I walk on both sides of the door and she's like well don't you have to to get in and through doors I'm like mom I'm gay and she's like why are you crying I know <laughs> yeah so mom's now that's an awesome, yeah. that's a really awesome story, especially and from like a small town. It is. Anyone who's met my mom, especially Queens, they know she's, she's definitely a queen herself. Like uh-huh. everyone, yeah, you know it's Brianna's mom. <laughs> <laughs> so in the face of all that kind of like stigma and, and cattiness of the drag scene, you kept pushing through. You kept doing drag you rose to the top, really. What kept drawing you back to the stage? I loved performing, and I was good at it. Mm-hmm. And, like, don't want to toot my own horn, but I was just, I was one of those queens that people were fascinated to watch. 
Like I was so high energy and you could tell I loved it. Mm -hmm. And I was the nice queen back then because I was so new and I was still coming out of my own shell as a young queer male. And it just, I loved being on stage. I loved hearing the music. Growing up, I always loved to dance. I always loved to, uh, my cousin Tanya and I, when we grew up, we would always make dance routines growing up. And I remember this one time we were doing Venus by Bananarama and we yeah. cleared out her parents' living room <laughs> and the two of them sat there and cheered us on. And we still talk to this day about how we used to, whenever we'd get together, do these dance routines. And I think that was part of the reason why I loved performing so much because I was always a performer growing up, mm -hmm. whether it was in someone's living room or yeah, on stage. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God you did. Yeah, on a dare. Yeah, on a dare. <laughs> on a dare. Who knew? Who knew? So, when you started, yeah. like you said, there, there wasn't just one queer-owned gay bar. Yeah. There were five. There was actually four. Oh, There was okay. Miss Purdy's, mm -hmm. Geo's Nightclub and Bar, uh, Club 200, and Happening Social Club. Oh, okay. When I started, yeah. Was Desire... Desire gone? came in 2003. Oh, that opened after. Yeah, so Happenings closed in 2004, just after Desire had opened in 2003. Wow, so what was yeah. that like to have kind of like so many different... It was awesome. You had something going on every night of the week. Wow. Yeah, at the time in 2003, Tyra was hosting a whole bunch of events at, at Happenings. Anita was headlining at Club 200. Purdy's had closed down in 2002. Mm -hmm. There was so much drag going on, even though it wasn't as mainstream. Mm -hmm. um, there was a show every weekend, like every Friday, Saturday. Yeah. There was a lot of drag. Wow. A lot. Sometimes when I hear those stories, it almost sounds like there's more. there was more drag going on back then than there is now. There was definitely more shows. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, every weekend there was a show. There were multiples because there was that many bars. Whether they were very popular or not, they weren't back mm. then, but it was something for the bars to have, definitely. Yeah. This was before social media. This was before, like, so unless you went to the bar, you didn't know what was going on, right? Mm. And that's where you went to hook up back in the day. So if you happen to be at a drag show because yeah. you needed to go to the bar, you were at a show. Wow. Yeah. Yes. It's it's so interesting, I think. I think that we hear a lot of people saying stuff like, oh, there's so much drag going on. There's too much drag going on. But when I hear stories like this, I'm like, it, it sounds like it's kind of always been this way. I personally would say there is definitely a, a less drag going on than there was before. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't have a show every weekend now. No. Fame does their performance, but it's not really a show. It's part of their night. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Whereas... Yeah. When it's an actual show, you've got many performers, mm -hmm. and it's an actual night for the show, and those were the types of shows that were back in the day. They weren't, you know, a busy bar night where two or three queens suddenly came on and did a performance. Mm -hmm. It was like an hour-long drag show. Yeah, but yeah. it seems like there's way more performers now than there were back then. 100%. But yet less shows. It's kind yeah. of weird. It is. And back in the day, there was definitely the the handful of girls that did each other's shows just to keep the shows alive, right? Like, mm -hmm. 
so-and-so would do their show so you would do theirs hoping that they would come back and do yours mm -hmm. and then you'd grab your close girlfriends to come do your show with a handful of girls at shows that you always did so there was always a mix of different queens per show depending on which of the queens from those bars putting on the show mm -hmm. yeah interesting and now we have this huge flux and do you think oh this is an interesting question i don't think i've ever asked somebody this before do you think that the draw of drag in winnipeg right now is big enough to sustain another drag space i think so yeah definitely there are so many talented young queens older queens i think the problem would be just keeping the energy alive and thinking of different themes to keep it going right like mm -hmm. you can't do the same thing without it getting boring i definitely think so you just have to be creative mm -hmm. and have different ideas for every show like we couldn't do a 80 show every weekend because that would get boring and we have such a diverse talented group of queens in winnipeg that i definitely think it would thrive wow your drag career spanned almost 20 years you've kind of seen the ebbs and flows of drag i mean drag right now is kind of at like an unprecedented level of popularity i think 100 just in just in the mainstream right did you think this is just a fad like do you think it's gonna fall I actually thought of that today while I was driving here. Yeah? Yeah, and like most things, every fad eventually fizzles out. Mm -hmm. I hope it doesn't, yeah. because I think it's definitely great for the LGBT community and its queens to be out there and representing and showcasing something that has been since the beginning of time almost. Like really? We've had drag queens for as long as we know. It's just so popular now that like I said with every fad they eventually fizzle out mm -hmm. yeah so I think we need to keep being creative to keep it keep it thriving and keep it going I kind of see it going one of two ways either it's probably going to fizzle and um, we'll have to wait for another wave or it'll just become ubiquitous I mean like r right now we're seeing a, a big focus on the drag scene but I think that we're also seeing like drag queens and, and kings in a bunch of other things like we see drag queens in reality tv shows now yeah. that are unrelated to drag like fucking big brother australia and <laughs> shit like that and like dancing and like, with the stars dancing with the stars making yes. music so yeah. i think that it's, it's kind of touch and go and i think that's a really great point that we need to get fresh if we want to stay around i think eventually like i said if it doesn't thrive and become fresh that it's just going to be come so mainstream that you're gonna be like oh there's another drag queen Ooh, mm -hmm. like groundbreaking <laughs> it's really right yeah. yeah like it's gonna become so mainstream that it's just look there's another queen yeah. in another event or sitcom or whatever it be when we were shooting your portrait for majesties with kylie lugosi yes you were telling us some some crazy stories <laughs> i want to know what are some of your craziest memories of drag over the past two decades you oh my god like. <laughs> there are so many what do you mean by crazy like <laughs> i can oh my goodness there are so many things that i've done i've always been that type of queen that if I want to know something, I go and do it. Mm -hmm. Like, going back to the whole sex worker thing back in the day, I remember there was a time where I was like, I wonder what it's like to walk in their shoes. Mm -hmm. So I was early, ready, run night, and I went and 
stood with the girls that were on the street and I just wanted to live their life for an hour. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking up and them going, Brianna, what are you doing here? I'm like, I, I don't want to do this, but I want to know what it is like to be you on the street and live this for a moment because like you never know what anyone's life is like until you walk a mile in their shoe Mm -hmm. and standing out there with the girls I remember it was really cold and people driving by and swearing and throwing things at us and just living their life and listening to their stories I was like wow and understanding why they were there was so eye-opening and so yeah you can never judge a book by its cover until you've actually opened up and started to read i would say that was one of my most adventurous things hosting a night of a thousand gowns in new york city oh what's that it's the new york ball whoa yeah i was the half empress of new york city for rain 24 and i got to host part of their annual charity ball and it was the first time I ever had to read off a teleprompter. I was so nervous and I remember looking at the reflective screen of the teleprompter. I was looking at the screen that was forcing up onto the actual screen we were supposed to read so I was looking down at the wrong screen so I was reading everything backwards Ah! and I was messing up and Ah! I remember my co-host going at least she's pretty, people. Ah, <laughs> yeah. Not a bad reputation. Not a bad. Out. And there's other definitely crazier stories that <laughs> I necessarily don't want to share, but I'm sure some of the other girls will. And I'm sure Tyra did during one of her episodes. Oh, she did. <laughs> yeah. We had to bleep some names. In yeah, and I think one of the names was mine. <laughs> yeah, I'll, let, I'll let the listeners guess which one that is. Listen on back. So, um, Winnipeg's favorite milk. Pink Buddha Goddess. Yes. Where'd you get these? Where'd you get these? These awesome nomers. Okay, so Pink Buddha Goddess. My favorite artist is pink, mm-hmm. and my favorite color is pink. So I wanted to use pink, and I love the word Puta. Everyone, <laughs> if you don't know what it means, look it up. <laughs> um, and I actually have Puta Goddess tattooed on my body. Really? Where? Right on my back here. Ah! Yes, with nine stars. Yeah, because I was Empress Nine. Oh, yeah. Yes, so I have the nine stars with my Puta goddess. And I was like, yeah, there should always be a goddess for everything, and I want to be the Puta goddess. Absolutely. So I took on the persona as the pink Puta goddess. And I think it was Lita who, as my drag child, is like, you're like that mom everybody's friend wants to fuck. And yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah you're right. Absolutely so American where, Pie. Yeah, so I was just like, okay. So that's where I came up with everyone's favorite MILF, the mm-hmm. pink puta goddess herself. <laughs> so yeah. you have a very signature look. You've got the brown hair, mm-hmm. which I think is, it, it's so signature Brianna. A lot of people go for like, uh, either like a crazy hair color or like platinum blonde. Yeah, I wasn't, when I first started, I wasn't a fan of the candy floss hair, like the blues and the mm-hmm. pinks. And I just didn't find them very natural looking because I had a very natural look going on. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I always saw myself as a female impersonator not so much as a drag queen Mm. so I always wanted to impersonate like looking like a woman Mm -hmm. and I remember my drag mother Electra Storm always saying to me your natural hair color always looks best on you Mm. 
So that's always like resonated in me that I always look best in brown because yeah. it's my natural hair color. I love to do like the different color, but I always find myself going back to hearing my drag mama go, your natural hair color always looks best on you. Mm -hmm. And mama knows best. Mama knows best. <laughs> yes. I also wanted to talk about, about your makeup process. So you have, do you not want to talk about that? No, go ahead. I want to. I think it's, I think it's important to. Yeah. I think it's good for kids to hear. So sometimes you have like a makeup artist do your makeup for you, which yeah. I think is really important for especially young performers to know is that like one of the biggest legends in the scene sometimes like gets a hand and you don't need to always be the master of no, every single facet of drag because it's so hard, all the different components. When I first started doing my own makeup, like I said, I was farm boy from a little town like <laughs> <laughs> blending was not my thing like mm -hmm. i literally like would do white pink blue in blocks yeah. like there was no <laughs> there was no blending and i was out shopping one day at faces cosmetics and this beautiful little asian girl was working behind the counter jocelyn caballero mm -hmm. and she came over and was like oh are you buying makeup for your girlfriend and i was like <laughs> really sweetie ah! <laughs> and she's like well you never know and i'm like actually i do drag and she was like i've always wanted to do a drag person's makeup and i jokingly said well what are you doing later and she said well i'm off at six and i'm like come over at seven and i invited this total stranger who i met at a makeup counter into my home and she did my makeup and i wasn't allowed to watch mm -hmm. and then when she turned the mirror the transformation that she did I couldn't believe and we began our relationship from there from that single moment of me buying makeup at this counter mm. to now 18 years later she's still wow. my makeup artist still yes she's taught me everything I know yeah if I can't get her I have a backup Deanna if I can't get Deanna then I'll do my own mm -hmm. um, I hate the process of doing my own makeup yeah. I think in a way I consider it that that's my lazy part of drag is that I know a lot of people that's their favorite part is doing the makeup. Mm. I just hate it. Yeah. Yeah. So I would prefer sitting there and I love getting someone else to do my own makeup. It's kind of like. It's relaxing. It's so relaxing. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm chit chatting with them. We're usually talking about what the night's going to look like, what my song is. So I'm mentally preparing myself for the night mm. rather than having to focus on putting an eyelash on or what color lipstick I want to wear because someone else is doing that for me. And I think that that's, like I said, important for young performers to hear because, like, we get our nails commissioned. You mm -hmm. know, we, we buy our clothes second-made or sometimes custom-made. We, yeah. we, we hire other people to do our wigs for us. And there's such, like, a... I've talked to some people who are so self-conscious about the fact that, like, they need help with their makeup. And it's, like, not... You don't need to do everything by yourself. That's no. not the spirit of drag at all. Not at all. I think being polished is my thing. And mm -hmm. whether I do it having... One person make my nails, the next person make my outfit, mm -hmm. someone else doing my makeup and someone else doing my hair and me just putting it all together. Like I've mastered that because I've brought all these people together yeah. to come up with my look. To create the vision. The vision. Piano. Exactly. Yeah. So like don't ever feel like you don't belong or shouldn't be mm -hmm. because you can't do your own makeup because we all learn somewhere. And like myself, I'm still learning. Like I could probably say... I've had someone do my makeup more than I've ever done myself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's it's you it's, on stage. It's, yeah. When push comes to shove, like, if you had to do it yourself, 
you'll figure it out because yeah. there have been times where I was like, ah, I can't get, <laughs> I can't get my girls. What am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. And yeah, there were times where I'd call Vita up and be like, girl, can you do my eyes? I can't do my <laughs> eyes, and she would come do them, right? But like, like I said, you learn, you do yeah. it, if you get it done so many times to yourself that it just comes naturally. And yeah. I mean, you look at the people who are like top of the industry, like I mean, RuPaul, like. She doesn't do shit. <laughs> she doesn't even perform anymore. I don't know what she does, but, but like everybody has a different hand on her, and she doesn't. She doesn't do anything. Like that's well, that's superstar's work. It's funny that you'd say that she doesn't perform because even when you watch her Christmas special, when she's doing the flips and the cartwheels, not her. You, it's not her. No, like visible body double. So visible funny. body double. I'm like, Ridiculous. come on. You should have at least got someone that somewhat looked like you. Yeah, <laughs> just fully clockable. I love that. So. 20 years have passed since you've started drag. You're a household name in the scene. And you were, like I said, one of the most requested guests. What is it like to have that legacy? How does that feel to to be able to look back at that and, and see all that behind you? I don't know. It's kind of humbling. A lot of people are probably rolling their eyes hearing me say that. <laughs> I am definitely one of the more tougher queens, I'd say. I'm most hard on myself and the girls around me. I've always wanted the Winnipeg Queens to be the best, so I push them to be the best, and sometimes it comes across as being bitchy. And my girls, like Lita, Tyra, will tell you, there was a time in their lives where they hated my guts as their drag <laughs> mother, and now we'll say, like, no, like she pushed us to be the best because she wants the Winnipeg Queens to be the best. Mm-hmm. And if it's got to come across as her being mean or a bully, like, no, like, it's out of love. Mm-hmm. The one thing that I'm very proud of is when people think of Winnipeg Queens, they think of these beautiful rock stars that can hit the stage and, like, people go nuts after they've done performing. And I would love to think that myself, Vita, Trixie, all those girls of the past that kind of rock things up in the early 2000s definitely had a hand in that. And I think that's so important because like Winnipeg as a city really gets overlooked in Canada even in so many different industries and in music and in theater and film yada 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 but drag seems to be like one sort of creative facet of Winnipeg that I think is pretty notorious from what I know. Like I said, we've got some of the most talented queens that I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And I definitely agree that Winnipeg sometimes gets overlooked. What do you think is the biggest difference from drag now yeah. versus drag when you began? Girls doing drag. Mm-hmm. Yes, and it's awesome. There weren't very many bio-females that did drag when mm-hmm. I started. I think there was one. And now to see all these girls coming out and exploring that side of drag and taking on these awesome drag personas is so great. Also, the acceptance of drag. We definitely have a lot to thank for when it comes to RuPaul's Drag Race making it mainstream, but also a lot to be standoffish because drag isn't just what you see on RuPaul's Drag Race. And one of the biggest things that I hate now is all these people that go to see these RuPaul girls, can they actually name one local queen? Yeah. Probably not. So you can't say you're a fan of drag because you're a fan of RuPaul's Drag Race, Mm -hmm. because you're not really a fan of drag if you're just going and watching RuPaul's Drag Race on TV and not coming out and supporting the local girls, because that's not a fan of drag. 
Absolutely. Like, you see people pay, like, what, up to, like, hundreds of dollars to go see these girls that are touring. Mm -hmm. I've seen some of those shows. I've opened for for one of those shows. And, like, those queens, they're not not doing much, you know? No. Like, a lot of them are just talking. Sometimes there isn't even dragging that. But you can see sometimes, like, 10-plus just, like, killer performers. Solid performances for five fucking bucks. Yeah, it depends on which queen you go see from Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Some are amazing, like you said, and some, they're, they got there. Yeah. Good for them. Yeah. And, <laughs> but, like, yeah, I would definitely rather pay $5 to see five local girls kill it on stage mm-hmm. than one RuPaul girl for $100 kill yeah. it on stage. Absolutely. You get so much. You get, you, you just get so much. Shop local. Shop local drag. <laughs> yes, shop local drag. Buy your local drag queens. Buy them a drink. <laughs> Buy them a drink. Tip them. Okay, so, having done drag for 20 years... What did you wish people knew about drag? Whether they're just starting drag or whether they know nothing about it or just know it from TV. The dedication it takes to do drag. It's not as simple as going out and buying your first wig and your Maybelline cosmetics at Shoppers. Mm -hmm. The time it takes to... And the amount of money that these queens put into looking the way they do... (laughs) It's thousands of dollars yeah. like, and the just the hard work that's what people need to know we we're not sitting at home grabbing mama's dress and mama's mm-hmm. heels and <laughs> yeah. her makeup no we're putting our hard-earned money into doing a hobby that we love mm-hmm. and that's what that's what i think is so funny when like people who don't really know drag are like why do you why do you tip drag performers and it's like because they're not generally getting much <laughs> no. to get booked there sometimes a portion of the door but other than that like it's it's just tips and some people are just doing the show for the sake of being a part of someone's show so they're not even getting anything but the tips mm-hmm. or so, raising money for for, for a charity. charity yeah so yeah definitely the hard work and dedication that each queen king for whatever that they put into their art of drag and how like and how hard it is the blood sweat and tears sometimes oh yeah yes oh, God. <laughs> especially on the days where things aren't going right that everyone has in their everyday lives and then having to put on a persona and being a character and being sometimes you just don't want to but you force it mm-hmm. and yeah and then you, you have a job to do you have a job to do and you go home after that night and you take it all off and you're so mentally drained because you've had the worst day and have had to do this whole larger-than-life persona. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just remember how hard it takes for those queens to get out there sometimes. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank this has you. been an amazing episode. Thank <laughs> Thanks. you. Thank you so much to Brianna for sitting down with me. Our next guest is one of the horrors of Lady Frances, the infamous children of Prairie Sky, and one of the most thoughtful performers I've ever had the pleasure of interviewing. Her quiet demeanor hides a wicked sense of humor and some of the sharpest analyses of our drag scene I've yet to hear. Here's a clip from her episode. When I say I'm conscious of the way I present myself, I know, like, my makeup, my hair, my costumes and all that. Like, that I'm aware of how I look, but I don't realize the aesthetic behind it, like how I might be perpetuating... Eurocentric beauty standards and I didn't realize that till recently because when I look back at my photos my recent photos I'm like okay my wigs are straight or they're wavy they look like 
white girl hair. I don't paint my eyes to highlight the fact that they're Asian shaped. Is it something that you have changed? I was thinking about it and I'm like, I could always do that through my song choices. And I could just keep the same aesthetic because that's the reality women of color live through. They have to mimic Eurocentric beauty standards. So why not portray it in drag since drag is a caricature of what it's like to be a man or a woman or any type of gender. Thank you so much to Claire Boning of Veneer for the lovely intro and outro music and to Cake for reviewing these episodes before they go live. Until next episode, remember to always tip your local drag artists. <laughs>